Today is the fifth day of November. Welcome to the Daily Audio Bible. I am Brian, and it's great to be here with you at the threshold of a brand new, shiny, sparkly week. And this will be our first full week in the month of November, the 11th month of our year together. And this week we'll read from the New Living Translation. And of course, we will pick up where we left off yesterday. So for our Old Testament reading today, Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 1 through 14, 11. Again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, you live among rebels who have eyes but refuse to see. They have ears but refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious people. So now, son of man, pretend you are being sent into exile. Pack the few items an exile could carry and leave your home to go somewhere else. Do this right in front of the people so they can see you, for perhaps they will pay attention to this, even though they are such rebels. Bring your baggage outside during the day so they can watch you. Then in the evening, as they are watching, leave your house as captives do when they begin a long march to distant lands. Dig a hole through the wall while they are watching and go out through it. As they watch, lift your pack to your shoulders and walk away into the night. Cover your face so you cannot see the land you are leaving, for I have made you a sign for the people of Israel. So I did as I was told. In broad daylight, I brought my pack outside, filled with the things I might carry into exile. Then, in the evening, while the people looked on, I dug through the wall with my hands and went out into the night with my pack on my shoulder. The next morning, this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, these rebels, the people of Israel, have asked you what all this means. Say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. These actions contain a message for King Zedekiah in Jerusalem and for all the people of Israel. Explain that your actions are a sign to show what will soon happen to them, for they will be driven into exile as captives. Even Zedekiah will leave Jerusalem at night through a hole in the wall, taking only what he can carry with him. He will cover his face and his eyes will not see the land he is leaving. Then I will throw my net over him and capture him in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Babylonians, though he will never see it, and he will die there. I will scatter his servants and warriors to the four winds and send the sword after them. And when I scatter them among the nations, they will know that I am the Lord. But I will spare a few of them from death by war, famine, or disease, so they can confess all their detestable sins to their captors. Then they will know that I am the Lord. 
Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, tremble as you eat your food. Shake with fear as you drink your water. Tell the people, this is what the sovereign Lord says concerning those living in Israel and Jerusalem. They will eat their food with trembling and sip their water in despair, for their land will be stripped bare because of their violence. The cities will be destroyed and the farmland made desolate. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, you've heard that proverb they quote in Israel. Time passes and prophecies come to nothing. Tell the people, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will put an end to this proverb and you will soon stop quoting it. Now give them this new proverb to replace the old one. The time has come for every prophecy to be fulfilled. There will be no more false visions and flattering predictions in Israel. For I am the Lord. If I say it, it will happen. There will be no more delays, you rebels of Israel. I will fulfill my threat of destruction in your own lifetime. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, the people of Israel are saying, He's talking about the distant future. His visions won't come true for a long, long time. Therefore tell them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. No more delay. I will now do everything I have threatened. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the false prophets of Israel who are inventing their own prophecies. Say to them, Listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. What sorrow awaits the false prophets who are following their own imaginations and have seen nothing at all? O oh, people of Israel, these prophets of yours are like jackals digging in the ruins. They have nothing to repair the breaks in the walls around the nation. They have not helped it to stand firm in battle on the day of the Lord. Instead, they have told lies and made false predictions. They say, This message is from the Lord, even though the Lord never sent them. And yet they expect Him to fulfill their prophecies. Can your visions be anything but false if you claim, This message is from the Lord, when I have not even spoken to you? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Because what you say is false and your visions are a lie, I will stand against you, says the Sovereign Lord. I will raise my fist against all the prophets who see false visions and make lying predictions, and they will be banished from the community of Israel. I will blot their names from Israel's record books, and they will never again set foot in their own land. Then you will know 
that I am the Sovereign Lord. This will happen because these evil prophets deceive my people by saying, All is peaceful, when there is no peace at all. It's as if the people have built a flimsy wall, and these prophets are trying to reinforce it by covering it with whitewash. Tell these whitewashers that their wall will soon fall down. A heavy rainstorm will undermine it. Great hailstones and mighty winds will knock it down. And when the wall falls, the people will cry out, What happened to your whitewash? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will sweep away your whitewashed wall with a storm of indignation, with a great flood of anger, and with hailstones of fury. I will break down your wall right to its foundation, and when it falls, it will crush you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. At last, my anger against the wall and those who covered it with whitewash will be satisfied. Then I will say to you, the wall and those who whitewashed it are both gone. They were lying prophets who claimed peace would come to Jerusalem when there was no peace. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. Now, son of man, speak out against the women who prophesy from their own imaginations. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. What sorrow awaits you women who are ensnaring the souls of my people? young and old alike. You tie magic charms on their wrists and furnish them with magic veils. Do you think you can trap others without bringing destruction on yourselves? You bring shame on me among my people for a few handfuls of barley or a piece of bread. By lying to my people who love to listen to lies, you kill those who should not die and you promise life to those who should not live. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against all your magic charms, which you use to ensnare my people like birds. I will tear them from your arms, setting my people free like birds set free from a cage. I will tear off the magic veils and save my people from your grasp they will no longer be your victims. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You have discouraged the righteous with your lies, but I didn't want them to be sad. And you have encouraged the wicked by promising them life, even though they continue in their sins. Because of all of this, you will no longer talk of seeing visions that you never saw nor will you make predictions, for I will rescue my people from your grasp. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And some of the leaders of Israel visited me, and while they were sitting with me, this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. Why should I listen to their requests? Tell them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. 
The people of Israel have set up idols in their hearts and fallen into sin. And then they go to a prophet asking for a message. So I, the Lord, will give them the kind of answer their great idolatry deserves. I will do this to capture the minds and hearts of all my people who have turned from me to worship their detestable idols. Therefore tell the people of Israel, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Repent and turn away from your idols and stop all your detestable sins. I, the Lord, will answer all those, both Israelites and foreigners, who reject me and set up idols in their hearts and so fall into sin, and who then come to a prophet asking for my advice. I will turn against such people and make a terrible example of them, eliminating them from my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And if a prophet is deceived into giving a message, it is because I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. I will lift my fist against such prophets and cut them off from the community of Israel. False prophets and those who seek their guidance will all be punished for their sins. In this way, the people of Israel will learn not to stray from me, polluting themselves with sin. They will be my people, and I will be their God. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. Hebrews 7, 1-17 This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of God Most High. When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means King of Justice, and King of Salem means King of Peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now the law of Moses required that the priests, who are descendants of Levi, must collect a tithe from the rest of the people of Israel who are also descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham. And Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. And without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. The priests who collect tithes are men who die. So Melchizedek is greater than they are because we are told that he lives on. In addition, 
We might even say that these Levites, the ones who collect the tithe, paid a tithe to Melchizedek when their ancestor Abraham paid a tithe to him. For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected the tithe from him. So, if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood, with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi and Aaron? And if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the priest we are talking about belongs to a different tribe, whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is, our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, and Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. This change has been made very clear since a different priest, who is like Melchizedek, has appeared. Jesus became a priest, not by meeting the physical requirements of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 105, 37-45 The Lord brought His people out of Egypt, loaded with silver and gold, and not one among the tribes of Israel even stumbled. Egypt was glad when they were gone, for they feared them greatly. The Lord spread a cloud above them as a covering and gave them a great fire to light the darkness. They asked for meat, and he sent them quail. He satisfied their hunger with manna, bread from heaven. He split open a rock and water gushed out to form a river through the dry wasteland. For he remembered his sacred promise to his servant Abraham. So he brought his people out of Egypt with joy, his chosen ones with rejoicing. He gave his people the lands of pagan nations, and they harvested crops that others had planted. All this happened so they would follow his decrees and obey his instructions. Praise the Lord. Proverbs 27, 3 A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but the resentment caused by a fool is even heavier. Okay, so yesterday we started talking about Melchizedek because his name showed up at the end of our reading yesterday, and obviously today we spent a good deal of time referring to him in the book of Hebrews. And so we looked at the two references where Melchizedek is named by name in the Old Testament and learned that he was a priestly king 
who uh, ruled the Canaanite city at the time of Jerusalem, in Abraham's time, from the book of Genesis. And then we saw him show up again in the Psalms at the time of David, who happened to be the king of Jerusalem, the king of Israel, during the time of the United Monarchy. A priestly king that was not from the tribe of Levi, but was rather in the order of Melchizedek. So in the book of Hebrews, we see uh, the, the parallel being made, and we can see why Jesus is equated with all of this as a priestly king. And we could leave it right there, all nice and tidy, and say that's, that's pretty cool. But it's a little bit more complicated than that. And this is where uh, some context helps us, although we won't be able to tie this off in a nice little gift box. But we will have the lay of the land. So Melchizedek is mentioned in the book of Genesis and then not mentioned again until the book of Psalms. But because he shows up in those two places, uh, quite a ways away from each other in history, and then he shows up again in the book of Hebrews, quite a bit away from the book of Psalms, we see that somehow he captures the imagination of the Hebrew people. And that continued on for thousands of years, even though there is no further material about him in the Bible. And the writer of Hebrews tells us things about Melchizedek that are not found in the references to Melchizedek in the Old Testament. So we can safely deduce that something happened along the way. And it's from what's written in Hebrews that the plethora of things have been said and thought and written about Melchizedek. And it's here that we begin to see how extra-biblical thoughts find their way into the biblical text. So let me show you what I mean. So we're reading from Hebrews chapter 7 today. And uh, chapter 7 verse 3 reads, There is no record of Melchizedek's father or mother, or of any of his ancestors, no record of his birth or of his death. He is like the Son of God. He remains a priest forever. Okay, so in the Old Testament, it's true. He shows up out of nowhere. And then he kind of disappears just as fast as he came. So it's true. Like there is no lineage for how Melchizedek found himself to be the king of Salem, nor for how he became the priest of the Most High God. And the interpretation of that is found in Hebrews. He is like the Son of God. He remains a priest forever. In other words, he didn't die, which is an interpretation of the scriptures. But those details are not found in the Old Testament uh, mentions of Melchizedek. Or are they? How did they come to this? The idea comes from Psalms. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Which becomes a little bit of a quandary. Because at face value, Psalm 110 is referring to the reign of David. And David died. And that's explicitly stated in the Bible. Unless Psalm 110 isn't about David, but is more of a messianic prophecy, a foretelling, a foreshadowing of Jesus, 
or at least of a, a coming priestly king in the order of Melchizedek who will um, who will be a priest forever. So it's hard to th- it's hard to think that David, king of Israel, reigning from Jerusalem, writing Psalm 110, thought that that's what he was writing about, which certainly doesn't discount the fact that he may have been um, writing a, a prophetic song. And in no way am I trying to diminish that idea because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all refer back to this psalm, not necessarily about Melchizedek, but they definitely tie it to Jesus. I say what I say about David because, I mean, David's got a united monarchy. He's the king of Israel. He's, he's bringing Israel to its apex. So at this point in history, uh, things are going great. Like They're not thinking about needing a, a Messiah, a, a deliverer. At David's time, they're kind of basking in all that God has done. He gave them the land that he promised that he would. And they have their own country, and they have their own king, and they have their own military, and they have their own uh, economy. They have, things are going well. So this is kind of an instance where things become more clear and revealed over time. All right, so here's where we jump into the deep end of the pool. It's pretty clear that Melchizedek captures the imagination of the Hebrew people and that that lasts for a long time. With the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls at Qumran in Israel, some of that thought came to light. There are documents that would describe Melchizedek in terms of uh, angelic or even divine, even godlike. In one of the documents, Melchizedek is uh, depicted as like the leader, like the, the, the main angel in a war in heaven against the angels of darkness, which caused many people to wonder uh, if Melchizedek was actually the archangel Michael, because Michael, Melchizedek, similar sounding names, and on and on it goes. You can see there's just so many jumping off places to follow trails and come up with stuff because it's interesting. But what we can say is that Melchizedek, although mentioned very little in the Bible, was carried down through culture and history as something unique, something different or representing something unique and different and that this was carried down through the generations And we see this uh, showing up in the material found in Qumran, known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. So I'm not saying like, so there you go. It's found in some of the Dead Sea Scrolls, so it's as good as the Bible. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying this is how we see that this, this person's uniqueness or what he represents, that uniqueness carried forward and wound its way into messianic thought. Because by the time we get to Jesus, not in the time of David anymore, things haven't been going so well. These people have been through the ringer. They've been in exile. Ten of their tribes are lost. Uh, The territory has changed hands several times. And they need somebody. They need someone to deliver them. 
And the writer of Hebrews, who is speaking, by the way, to Hebrews, is speaking of Melchizedek in a way that these people understand and is showing them in in every conceivable way Jesus is that person. And I'll leave that explanation for tomorrow, not so much in things that I might say, but but the book of Hebrews will unpack it for us. And hopefully this little bit of context over the last couple of days helps with that, helps us understand that. Now, I've got to tell you, like, there's a lot to this and you can go as far as you want. There are brilliant scholars that can go much deeper and wider and uh, are more articulate than me. And I do not and have never claimed to know everything there is to know about the Bible. That would be God. So my taking us through some of this isn't me trying to make a theological statement about anything. It's just one of these pieces of the Bible that we come to and we read through and we're like, okay, it's the Bible. It's true. It's I believe it. But we don't really even know what's being said or the gravity of it. And getting a little context around it lets us see, okay, this what's being said here is pretty big deal, which only makes it richer and truer and deeper as we sow it into our own lives. So, Father, we invite your Holy Spirit to come into all of this and do the tilling and sowing. What we want is the fruit of the Spirit in our lives to flourish and reproduce itself all around us. And we believe this is possible because you sent your Son to die for us and gave us the gift of your Holy Spirit to lead us and the gift of the Scriptures that continually jar us and shake us and make us pay attention and contemplate. They keep us from falling asleep in our own lives. They keep us oriented to your kingdom in this world. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Daily Audio Bible family. This is God's tree, for I have many branches, but I'm rooted in every word of God. The Holy Spirit dealt with me this morning about prayer, and it's awesome that we have this platform where we can pray for one another. Because the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, we need to stop praying selfish prayers. Even though we're going through things on our own, we need to include others on it. So now I've made it a point that whenever I want to pray for myself, I include someone else that may be in this situation. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that the enemy comes to destroy and divide families because he knows if he can destroy families, he can destroy everything else that you set up, God. And we ask you right now in the name of Jesus, God, that you you bless our marriages. Bring peace in our marriages. Lord, heal hurts and pains and heal broken hearts. Lord, heal the distrust. Heal everything that the enemy has stolen out of our relationships and restore love and peace. Put us all on one accord, God, because you put us together for a divine purpose, God, and we need to meet that purpose, and the enemy knows it. 
Lord, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you stop arguments, that you stop disagreements, that you would take individuals out that want to interfere, that you would take away distraction, God, and allow us to be focused on our spouses. Let us be focused on one another, God. Restore the intimacy. Restore everything, God, that you blessed us with God and that the enemy wants to take away. And God, as you build up marriages and relationships and families, it'll strengthen our entire society and that we'll be able to defeat the enemy. I thank you, God, and I thank the Holy Spirit for prompting me to pray for everyone who's suffering in this situation. And it's in Jesus' name I do pray. Go forward, brothers and sisters, and love one another. We're going to be all right. God bless. Hi, beautiful family. This is Prisoner of Hope. Abraham from Texas, um, you have a lot of issues in your marriage, a lot of hurt and rejection going on. You're just so brokenhearted. My heart just breaks for you, brother. Um, Father, they are struggling in their marriage. Abraham and his wife, they need your help. They need your strength to keep going. And they need to lean into your wisdom to know what to do. Help them, Lord, to love one another the way that you love them. Help them to forgive and heal and work on restoration. Shantae from Port St. Lucie, Florida, praying for you and your husband. Heavenly Father, we come to you, hear our prayers that you will provide um, for all of Shantae and her husband's and their family's needs. Allow him to get a job to help with their finances, especially um, in consideration of their move that is coming up this month. I am lifting up you, Rosie. Great to be free in Jesus. You're struggling um, to get through your job, you need God's direction. Lord, would you give her that? Give her your wisdom. She said she's likely to get a new job. Will you please just direct her and provide for her and encourage her? Morning Lift, you just lost your job. That just sounds really terrible on top of everything else you have going on. But Lord, um, I ask that you would please encourage him, walk alongside him, provide for him, instruct him, help him to lean on you, knowing that you are his everything. May your gracious face please just shine upon him and be good to him. Eyes of a dove, your dad Jerry has Alzheimer's and you had a hard time with him. Lord, we know the difficulty that people go through when people have dementia and especially when they're acting out. Would you please let whatever moments she has with him in his remaining life be precious and sweet and kind, not outbursts of any kind. Please calm his spirit. Help him to know you. Help her to lean into you. Be a blessing to them in every way we pray. Please, amen. Hi guys, this is Friend of God in Denver. God put it on my heart to pray for Christy in Kentucky and her husband Tim, who's been diagnosed with ALS. Lord, I raise Christy and her husband up to your throne of grace. I pray, Father, that you may heal Tim and that you might grant him and Christy wisdom and grace and peace as they walk through this valley and you might Comfort them and let them know that you're with them as they go through this trial. Amen. Good morning, Dab family. This is Danny from Southern Oregon. Hey, I wonder if you guys could all pray for my mom. As you know, she's got stage four breast cancer and um, it's, it's really progressed. It's all on the outside of her skin and it's become so painful for her that she can't sleep in a bed anymore. She's uh, sleeping in the recliner and she's um, over-medicating on her pain medication and I'm afraid she's, she's going to overdose. 
uh, she's, she just takes them all the time and it really worries me. But she's in so much pain and it's just so hard <laughs> to hear her go through this pain. But I'm not ready to lose her, so could you guys all pray that we would get this pain under control for her and um, and that uh, she wouldn't suffer anymore, but, but that she wouldn't die yet either. Thank you, family. Bye.